Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Whoa, boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. The arcade was my church. Selfane, so uh, introduce yourself briefly, and uh, and we'll start digging into stuff. Sure. So thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be on the show. Um so I, I'm a, I'm a writer. I've written a couple books. Uh, one was a boss fight book uh, for Mega Man 3. That was a couple years ago. And oh, I also, yeah. yeah, so I connected to that world. And then I also, uh, you know, I'm writing some games too. So the, the big one that's coming out is Retromania Wrestling. So that's coming out in July, which I'm very excited to see uh, finished. And, and I teach video game courses too. So I teach the critical side and the design side. So just a lot of feet in the gaming world, a lot of, a lot of hands in there. Yeah, absolutely. And help me figure out the uh, all the travel component of what you do, because you seem like you're all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in, the, in the fall, I ran a study abroad program in Rome, in Italy for about three months. So that's why I was kind of gone for a couple months and out of the conversation. So uh, I basically just had my switch and I was playing uh, Pokemon and Final Fantasy eight <laughs> over <laughs> in Rome, basically through that time. But my wife and I, we were over there and we lived with 30 students. So it was, it was amazing and stressful. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when it comes to, you know, getting into game stuff, like what, what really came first out of all these things you do? I mean, first it would, it was just being a fan. So, you know, I grew up in the Nintendo days, so I had a Nintendo entertainment system and, you know, Mario three was like the big one for me, you know, as a kid when I thought like, Oh wow, this is something I really care about. And then after that it was probably RPGs. So like a lot of final fantasy and earthbound and chrono trigger, all those super Nintendo RPGs. And, uh, yeah, from that point on, I was kind of in, you know, I, I briefly fell out of it when I was in college just due to money, you know? So, you know, when the PS three came out, I think I had just graduated college or was about to graduate college and I had no money for anything. So yeah. I kind of missed the opening, like maybe five or six years of that run. But since that, since then, I've been back on and it's, uh, you know, I've just been kind of doing more and more and more with it, you know, where at first I thought I'd just teach a class and then I thought, well, maybe I'd like to write a book about it. And then I thought maybe I could write a game. So yeah, it was probably the class first and then the Mega Man 3 book and then I thought maybe I could take a shot at writing a game. And uh, I, I knew you had written some books, and I think I knew that you were one of the boss fight authors, but it, it's I guess that escaped my mind when we uh, started talking recently. Uh, about what time was that? Uh, yeah, it's a small world, because I was just listening to the podcast you, you did with um, um, uh, the, the writer who's in NBA Jam. Rayon, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I loved that book. I thought that, that book was fantastic, and it was so oh, yeah. well-reported. It made me wish I'm like, oh, I wish I could add a little more, <laughs> take some time to report more. Uh, but mine came out, I think, in 2016. So I had probably been working on it by that point for maybe two years, two years before that. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I feel like uh, the more I get to know sort of the collective boss fight, you know, author sphere, uh, the more impressed I am with it. They They really built something up there with that series. Like that's become really great stuff. 
yeah, I'm so humbled and happy to be part of their family, even in kind of a tertiary way where I, I love all their books. You know, it's funny. I came on in their like third season and I had been a backer for the first two seasons. I was one of like the day one backers in the first two, where at first I just like really wanted to read anything I could get my hands on about games in kind of a more critical or in-depth way. So yeah, it was amazing to step into that world because I had just been a fan since it started. See, I'm that way too. I, I love to devour any sort of written word I can about game development because I, I think it's a fantastic way to, you know, unwind, but also stay a little bit connected. And uh, that that definitely fed into what I do with the website and the podcast and everything because I thought there's really not enough of that content. Not not that I looked at anything and saw like I could do better than that. Like I would just like to do more of it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I love this stuff. Yeah, just adding your voice, right? And you're coming at it from I think a different angle, you know. And and I think that's so necessary and good. And and I do hear from more and more people who are like, you know, I'm I'm writing about this stuff, but I'm also doing it. And I love that. I think that's the best kind of person you can sit down and talk to. Yeah, because it's all really connected, you know, right? It's not as siloed off as maybe we think it, it, it might be. Right, right. So how do you get hooked up with Retrosoft, who's doing, uh, who's doing uh, Retromania? All right, so it's a, it's a funny story, actually, where uh, I just saw a tweet that they put out very early on. And, uh, you know, they just kind of had footage of their game. And it's obviously kind of uh, it's now the official spiritual successor to WrestleFest, which was an arcade um, pro wrestling game. I loved in the late eighties and early nineties, some of my like earliest gaming memories are playing that in the arcade and, you know, going deep with uh, Mr. Perfect and um, yeah. Hulk Hogan, you know, and those guys in a tag team with my uncle. Like I remember that very, very clearly. So I was very into the project. And again, I just thought like, Oh, I can't wait to buy this when it comes out. And I reached out to them on Twitter and just said, Hey, very excited about this. Looks great. You know, I've written this book about Mega Man 3. If you need anyone to come in and, you know, take a shot at writing something, you know, let me know. And I didn't really expect to hear anything. I was just trying to, you know, say I was, you know, going to support the project. But then they got in touch with me and I kind of had a long phone call with the um, with the owner of Retrosoft, um, who's a great guy. And, uh, you know, he has the same kind of similar passion for arcade games and late 80s, early 90s and, and pro wrestling, obviously, which I know <laughs> you're a lapsed fan of as, as well, you know, but probably from this era. We just got talking and uh, he told me he was interested in doing a story mode and I kind of, you know, went away and thought of some ideas of what I'd like to do. He kind of gave me an idea of who would be on the roster and I came back with a, a pitch and uh, they, they went with it. So, yeah, I've been working on that on and off for about a year and not steady work, but, you know, it depends on what they need at the time. And then I jump in and kind of work on that. That's so cool. And something so interesting about this game to me is that. It is an indie project that has brought in, uh, you know, noteworthy actual wrestling, you know, personalities, old and new, uh, it looks to me. And I, I haven't even seen the recent roster, but I know it's it's it grew for a very long time. Is that right? Yeah. And there's still some announcements to be made. So I have to be I have to be careful of what I, right. what I say here, because I've known the whole roster for for so long, you know, over well over a year, but it still hasn't been uh, released. But yeah, I mean, that's what really impressed me. At the start was the Road Warriors like, oh, OK, so this is serious if they got the Road Warriors on, on board, you know, and then since then, you know, folks that I grew up loving, like Tommy Dreamer and ECW. And I, I had seen Tommy Dreamer live just you know, last summer <laughs> wow. wrestling. 
Uh, so yeah, I was very excited to write promos for those guys, you know, and yeah. that was like a dream come true to write. It's kind of a branching story, you know, so the player can play as a face or heel, um, and they, they get to cut different types of promos and doing all that stuff was fantastic. Yeah. And, and I don't want to ruin anything or get you in trouble, but that's actually selfish because I don't want to ruin it for me for when I play it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, like this is the kind of thing I'm actually pretty excited about. Um, but what a, I mean, what a fascinating writing project. Uh, you know, you get in touch with these guys. I'm, I'm sure you didn't even know how much writing work there there would even be for that project. Because, I mean, wrestling games go all different directions and focus on different things. But uh, to actually be brought in and create a story mode, I mean, that got me thinking about, like, games that had story modes that I really liked. And, uh, I mean, one for me was uh, WWF No Mercy was an awesome one. Oh, with, with all the different component stories, and I spent, I literally spent years trying to see every little possible thing that could happen in that game. Man, what a cool opportunity to uh, to kind of come up with your own thing. Yeah, I was so excited and shocked because I thought, you know, if you've played WrestleFest, you know, there's really no story to it. I mean, there's a, there's a couple lines here and there, and there's, you know, um, Mean Gene kind of, you know, announcing that the next match is about to start, but that, that was about it. So I didn't think they were going to want anything. And if they did, I thought it would be, oh, well, that'll be a day or two of work of me right. outlining menus or maybe an instruction manual if they're going to go the, re- the retro route. Um, but yeah, I was really excited to see they wanted a, a kind of long story. So, you know, what I tried to do was, um, to, to make it, and it's kind of like the tutorial mode in, in some ways. It's like the story mode kind of trains the player to go through all the different modes within the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming up with logical reasons for all these different types of matches, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, but but in a, in a way, my experience is similar to yours, where it felt like the the game I'd been preparing to write my whole life of <laughs> of fantasy booking angles and things like that in my I had and just, you know, being and especially in games like uh, Smackdown on PlayStation one, that's probably the one I played the most. So I didn't have an N64. So I played Smackdown, which is nowhere near as good as, you know, No Mercy or NWO versus the world. Um, But but it still had an okay story mode inside of it. So, yeah, it it felt like everything had been building towards this. So it's definitely a story uh, by a wrestling fan for other wrestling fans. That is uh, an awesome selling point. Yeah, I was just the right age that I also dug into some of the, uh, I don't don't want to call them lesser quality, but like more obscure wrestling titles for like PlayStation. Like I I remember I spent some time with, what was it, uh, WWF Attitude? Oh Uh, yeah, I had that one. (laughs) And, uh, or even the... um, the THQ one that was on the PlayStation that was like way harder to control. Like I was a real nerd for that kind of stuff. I, I really like that. Yeah. I, I also, I played Warzone a ton, uh, around that era. And then weirdly like WCW thunder on PlayStation, which also is not very good. <laughs> I, I only remembered that game. It was actually, oddly, it was about a week ago. I've been reading that, um, that nitro book that came out. Oh yeah. I have that. Yeah, I I think it hit the Kindle Unlimited program or something, or I may have just bought it. Um, but I, I thought I was such a, a big WCW fan around that time, and I thought if I could really get some background on that whole thing, it would be awesome. That has been a super rewarding read so far. I'm probably halfway through. 
Yeah, no, I really like that book. And uh, I listen to uh, Eric Bischoff's podcast with, with Conrad Thompson all the time where they kind of go back through the decisions made during kind of the WCW run and explain what the thinking was. Because, yeah, from a fan point of view, it was perplexing, you know, post 97, 98, what, why things were happening in WCW. Right. And it was even more confusing to be getting to the age where you're like, I know a lot of this stuff is very strongly predetermined, but it seems Mm -hmm. like there's also more going on and I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. So that's, that's been uh, fun to revisit. Um, are, Are you working with like other writers? I mean, like what's the process like in terms of like collaborating with this team? I mean, are there a lot of different constraints you're working within or is it pretty, pretty free to do whatever you like? Yeah, it's interesting where there, there's no other writers. So it, it it's on me to come up with the connective tissue for all these things. And basically, there's like a, a series of match types they wanted me to include in the story mode. And, you know, I it was kind of up to me to pitch what order the wrestlers would come in and where it would make sense for different factions to appear and for the player to have options to join the factions and things like that. And in, in terms of like collaboration, I mean, things that have really happened is, uh, you know, one example is Indie Mania, which is a promotion Retro Mania ran where they had like a March Madness kind of bracket for indie wrestlers to work themselves into the game. And they ended up with Warhorse, who's a wrestler I already really liked um, on the indies. So, you know, I went back to them like, look, can I just take one more stab at this to rework Warhorse into the story? So even though the story <laughs> had been finished for a while, I'm like, let's just let's just get him in a little bit. Like, you obviously can't be in there a lot because so much of this is already coded. But let's let's work him in a bit, you know. And certain things changed where the ending has been reworked a few times, you know, based on some things that they wanted and. Um, you know, I also took a shot at writing the script inside of the code engine, you know, so that was something I felt fairly comfortable with as I, I code a tiny, tiny bit. Um, so seeing it all in front of me, I could at least import the script. Um, so during that time, you know, I probably introduced maybe an error or two into the code. So I was working with the coders directly. So that was kind of an interesting <laughs> look that I'd yeah. never gotten before. Yeah, for sure. As you could imagine. <laughs> Right. I was just going to say, like, I as a a coder myself and as a a game designer somewhat, I I feel like probably a lot of people like myself have gone, wouldn't it be fun to make my own wrestling game in the spirit of, you know, either WrestleFest or the old Nintendo 64 games or uh, WrestleMania, the arcade game. There's there's no shortage of inspirational games for people like myself. But uh, that's the kind of thing that it, it reminds me of card games. Like you think it would be simple and th- as soon as you start, it explodes with difficulty. There are a million things to track mentally. And uh, that that kind of makes me wonder about the studio too. I mean, like, is it a, a big team? Like you know, how long have they been working on this? You know, my understanding is, is it's a, it's a pretty small team and they're all kind of working remotely from different locations in, in the country. So the, the owner, Mike Herman, he is uh, outside Philly, which is kind of near where I grew up. So it kind of makes sense that, um, you know, we, we kind of both were ECW kids, you know, in a way, you know, yeah. ECW teens in a way and kind of growing up in that Northeast WWF kind of um, hot spot. Uh, but the rest of the team, you know, I don't know so much about, to, to be honest, you know, where we are kind of um, quartered off doing our own tasks. But I, I would say that I think it's been about, I mean, I was brought in around last 
January. So January 2019, maybe February 2019. But they had been at hard at work well before that, maybe probably four or five, six months, I would think. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense because, uh, well, for one thing, it's nice that it sounds like there are a lot of different people bringing many, many different things to the uh, to the product. But uh, having people working remotely also uh, probably set you guys up pretty well for how things are going right now. Because it sounds like it hasn't thrown you for too much of a loop. I'm sure it's made things difficult. Don't get me wrong. But it sounds like the game's still mostly on track. Yeah, I think uh, so. The the release date is still July. As far as I know, that is kind of set in stone. You know, I don't think that's going to change. I don't know. Maybe that maybe I'll contradict myself in a month or two. But I mean, that's my understanding. So it's already up for pre-order. I think most of the work had already been done before all this started. You know, so I think the only thing that might be affected is I I think there might have been aspirations towards a physical release. But I don't know if that's going to be possible, given everything going on. Yeah, physical everything is uh, yeah. tremendously difficult now. <laughs> I, I'm very upset I don't have a physical copy of the Final Fantasy VII Remake that I had to download it, so <laughs> very annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I switched over to uh, digital a little while ago, and it wasn't because I don't like physical games. Um, eh, once you get to the point where you're married and have a family and oh. not everyone in the house understands that you want a room full of... Uh, you know, uh, shel- shelving and video games and like things you bought from a closing GameStop and you know, stuff like that. It's made things a little bit easier because the physical stuff is seems much more complicated these days. Uh, it's it's hard to be that kind of gamer now. Yeah, and I would say me too. It's passed me by where I haven't bought a physical game in. Uh, forever but this was the, the one i wanted just because of the nostalgia of having the 97 one on disc still i'm like oh i'd like to get this one on a disc but yeah i would download everything if uh if that was available but yeah i know exactly what you're talking about because my office i have 500 nintendo games in there and i i i kind of just i need to get rid of them or do something with them because <laughs> my <laughs> wife is a saint for <laughs> Just, I guess she accepts that this is who I am and they're up there in my office. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the same way here. My wife will take a look at a stack of things and like, okay, so this is something you need then, huh? Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like uh, she's a much more organized person. You mentioned the Switch and actually I found my Mario Kart 8 uh, yesterday. It had been missing for months. The, oh. the Switch games now are, I mean, people people talk about putting them in their mouths. We should maybe we shouldn't have games small enough for your mouth. Yeah, I have to say I, I hate having any physical Switch games. I only have uh, seven, and I've had it since almost launch. I have almost everything digitally because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I'm afraid I'm going to lose all those <laughs> games, especially on a plane. I think just knowing me for sure, I'm going to drop one of these things. Oh my god! Yeah, when the AirPods aren't enough, yeah, you'll yeah drop a copy of uh, Breath of the Wild, and uh, it goes into a vent somewhere or something. Yeah. Well, and if I lose, if I had Animal Crossing physically, my whole island would be gone. <laughs> and my, then true. my wife would be very angry. That is a that is a good point. Um, so you mentioned you're writing a, a few things. Is there other stuff that you're able to talk about? I mean, other other games and projects and things. Yeah, there, there's some other things I, I can't talk about yet, like the game related. And there's um, I've written two other novels and, I, and I've been working on a third that is connected to the game world. But I can't mm-hmm. talk too much about that as it's still like uh, it, it's hopefully near the end 
of yeah, development. Yeah. Let's let's hope and pray. But yeah, so I mean, I love this world and want to stay in it and hope to write a couple more games, you know, so it, it was definitely a rewarding experience. But, you know, right now I'm teaching a, a video game course, the, the critical discourse of video games. So that's one of the big things that's like keeping my toes in the water right now. What's the uh, what's the focus on that class? I mean, uh, the the title gives uh, somewhat of an idea, but I mean, what what direction do you sort of take that? Yeah, it's interesting because um, I'm an English professor, so I, I mostly do creative writing classes, but then I also get to teach kind of like the like intro English literature type of class that any college student would have to take, you know, regardless of their major and. Yeah. Um, my big pitch when I, I got hired here a couple years ago was to run that as a video game course, to do it as like, what if we taught games as literature, which is becoming much, much more common in, in lots of different places. And uh, they went with it. So I've been teaching that for about five years now. So it's kind of a games as literature class. Um, but we also look at kind of like the game studies conversations. So kind of like other academics who have written about games, we look at the angles that they're coming at them from. So like we're, we're reading, this is terrible timing on my part. We're reading about Pokemon go right now. So the idea <laughs> was they were supposed to go play it. Uh, <laughs> obviously I told them like, Hey, maybe, maybe don't play it. Uh, although you, apparently you can catch Pokemon in your house frequently now is how they've updated. And Oh, that's of, good. Yeah. They've, uh, they've tried to address this. Um, but we're reading an article about academics kind of arguing about whether or not a game like that can increase empathy or decrease empathy. And their their study shows it, it, it had no impact on empathy whatsoever, which is interesting. So the students <laughs> are reading that and then we'll be chatting about it. And then we're doing The Witcher 3 next. So it's as different nice. as possible from Pokemon Go. <laughs> I feel like you could do, uh, if not a complete course, at least a pretty lengthy study on the evolution of Pokemon Go itself. Because that's not the first story I've heard about, like, here's here was a societal issue and we had to make a change. <laughs> like, uh, I, I feel like I remember them talking about taking churches out because of the things that were going on in parking lots and stuff. And uh, and and now this. But I'm, I'm glad to hear they're making a, a pandemic friendly uh, change to the, the Pokemon catching. That's nice. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy kind of uh, symbol of the time that we're living in where Nintendo had a well, I guess not Nintendo, Niantic had to think of a solution to how can people how can we keep people playing this game as service when they can't go outside? Right. Uh, Are you teaching remotely or preparing to teach remotely? Like what's going on there? Yeah, it's all remotely. So it's been all remote for uh, I think about a month now, maybe less than time has melted as I'm sure it has for you yeah. as well. So it's all through zoom, uh, w- which is really hard for the students. You know, I really feel for them because a lot of them, they might not have great internet in their homes. You know, they might not have their own workspace. They might have younger siblings they now to take care of. So uh, yeah, I mean, their lives are, are really made more difficult in a variety of ways, obviously. Right. It seems like the theme with everybody I speak with is, um, whether whether they're thriving or whether they're less productive, whatever it is, everyone goes, I thought it was going to be one way going into this, and it's the complete opposite. So somehow, yeah. across all people, and it, it's been the exact same for me, I expected to be, I was like, I've been doing this from my home forever. This has been fantastic. I'll be somebody people can depend on. And it fell apart immediately. Like, this is the first podcast I've done in much too long. <laughs> 
Well, I think you're, you know, everybody's in that boat where I, I do a basketball podcast too, and we haven't done one in uh, well over a month because, well, one, what's there to talk about? But two, it's like, who wants to hear about <laughs> basketball, right? Or just anything that is not uh, a virus right now. So, you know, but I think that having that escapism is important. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to get back to content that just has as little to do with, you know, current times as possible and talking about an indie project about retro wrestling stuff. Like this couldn't have, we've been working on getting this together for a long time and the timing is actually working out in my mind perfectly. Yes, it was all my fault. It took so long because the the time difference in Italy really threw me for a loop. But I was, you know, I didn't expect uh, the strain of actually living with 30 students in a dorm and how how taxing that would actually be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've done (laughs) I've done short European travel like less than a week. And I felt like it very briefly ruined my life. Like It's it's fun to travel and see the world, but like trying to be productive in any way, I can only imagine. Yes, it was amazing. You know, it was incredible to go and and live there and to go for work. But it was, it was also like, oh well, this is um, this is much more work than as I was anticipating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and being a guy who has uh, sort of different focuses during different parts of the day and week and month, as I'm sure you do, uh, do you look at your career right now and feel like you have? a decent amount of like freedom to tackle stuff you want to do, or do you feel like it's pretty rigid at this point now? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I think most people are asking themselves that probably at, at this stage of life, you know, and, yeah. and I don't, I, hmm. yeah, it's interesting because I, I guess getting into the video game creative space has been kind of a new avenue I've been pushing into. And I've been fortunate where my, my job, you know, like my primary income is coming from teaching and academia and they've been really supportive of that, yeah. you know, so I'm thankful that they've allowed that to kind of flourish. Um, but yeah, it is hard to balance because there's, there's the game writing, there's the teaching and then there's like my, not my novel writing. Um, and all three kind of, you know, have to be the three buckets that need to be filled, but I can't fill all three at once ever. You know, so it's just a constant juggling act. I can't imagine adding another thing, but I probably people like us, we always are adding one more thing. Right. That's that's kind of my reason for asking, because lately uh, I've, I've certainly been having to explore that myself. But I feel like more and more people are going, uh, you know, most of us have some some version of uh, technical skill we could do remotely. And people are unfortunately losing employment opportunities and, and things like that. And I, I can do software contracts somewhat regularly. If I, if I want to, then I can, you know, pour a little more time into the website, stuff like that. But, uh, I think everybody's kind of trying to figure out, you know, what can I add and how do I add it? And, uh, that's just something I'm starting to feel people out about because I, I haven't really figured it out for myself yet either. Yeah. I think it's a tough question, you know, and I think it's something that you spend your whole life thinking through. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, something that I expect to be, uh, grilling more people about. And you were just the first lucky one. Mm. (laughs) I feel like I need more time to think it through. Like, yeah, I guess the, the big thing is like, I've been watching a lot more films now that we've been quarantined and not going out, you know, and I've been trying to, uh, educate myself more on like international films, like things I don't know about. Mm. So like that would be, so in the fall I'm teaching an Italian, film course. So I guess I am adding that other bucket, even as you kind of said that where I'm like, Oh, maybe I can learn everything about this field in this three month period and be ready to teach it in the fall, you know? So I guess that is one really nice thing about, uh, 
academia is you do kind of have the freedom to think like, oh, you know what, I think I want to follow this weird pursuit and see if I can transform it into a class somehow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you were a little more of an all-around sports guy than I realized, too. I, I caught a couple of XFL tweets from you, and <laughs> <laughs> I see you talking about this and that. And uh, let me let me tell you, just in case you didn't know, as someone from St. Louis who just lost another football team, oh. uh, it, it's not been the best thing. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, it, it's interesting to know that you uh, keep up with all that stuff as well on top of everything. Well, I'm wearing a Knicks t-shirt and a Knicks sweatshirt on top of it right right now. <laughs> and I'm looking at two pairs of Knicks shoes in, in the same room with me. So, yeah, I'm definitely the – I love being a heartbroken sports fan. You know, that's wrapped <laughs> up in my identity and I relate to all people who, uh, you know, see that as, as part of themselves. So, yeah, I watch a, a lot of basketball, a, a alarming amount of basketball, especially when the Knicks are good, which luckily is very rare in my lifetime. So, you know, I, I don't have to watch uh, too much of it all the time. But, yeah, the, the XFL, I was more watching out of morbid curiosity just because of the, the first go around. You know, oh, and yeah. I do yeah. love wrestling. <laughs> so I just I, I really want to see Vince McMahon strut out there and be more of a presence. But I know that's the minority viewpoint of what people want from it. I feel like there was a lot more of that during the first go around when we were younger. And uh, in, in, in some way, I think that probably brought me back as well. Um, I, I was a very lucky kid in terms of sports cause I grew up in Southern Illinois. So I got to celebrate the bulls. Then I got a little bit older and got to celebrate the Rams at, at their high point. But somewhere someone was saying like, your time's coming. Enjoy it now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, now I've moved over to the Missouri side and now we're just, uh, waiting for whatever's next, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's hard to fill that itch right now where I watched the NBA horse competition and I, I tweeted something like, this is the absolute dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life, but I'm not going to turn it off. <laughs> so glad it's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I know uh, you uh, enjoy the UFC and that's a bit of a blind spot for me where I've watched some things like UFC 200 I saw, but that was really because of Lesnar and, and the kind of cross appeal. But then I've oh, yeah. started watching it just like the reruns now because I'm like, okay, well it's new to me and I'll, I'll just maybe catch up that way. If you find a way, and this is my go-to uh, UFC advice for people interested in it. If you can find a way, or if you do the, uh, like the UFC fight pass, like free trial for like four weeks or whatever it is they, they offer, go back and watch some old seasons of the ultimate fighter, which is the reality show they do to uh, award a contract a year or something like that. Uh, that will, that'll either bring you in immediately or it's, it may just not be for you. That sounds great. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm looking for anything <laughs> to consume. Yeah. I'm, I'm rewatching the Sopranos. I need, I need more content. I'm running out. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I do love how we can all sort of revisit old sports stuff and, and, uh, go through it and talk about it and enjoy it br brand new just because nothing else is happening. I've, I've actually kind of liked that. Are, are you going to watch the Jordan, the 10 part Jordan documentary that starts on Saturday or Sunday? I think it starts this Sunday. I went from not being sure to seeing his preemptive, like, Hey everybody, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're going to see this and you're not going to understand it. Just keep in mind. I was under a lot of pressure <laughs> and, and now I feel like I can't miss it. Like that has Jordan so concerned. I'm definitely going to watch it. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't wait. And I know it's just going to make me mad because, I mean, as you would imagine, as, as a Knicks fan growing up in the 90s, I, I hated the Bulls so much. <laughs> but at least, you know, I always respected the Bulls. It's the Pacers I truly hated. Uh, so the Reggie Miller Knicks documentary always like <laughs> raises my blood pressure to dangerous levels. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen with this one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we we need more relaxing television, per- perhaps. You know. <laughs> yes, then 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 bringing up the Knicks' greatest failures from two decades ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was going to keep this a shorter one because I knew my son would be running around, and in fact, I have not heard him in a while, which makes me more concerned. Oh, oh, oh no, I totally understand. He's been right around the corner uh, watching trains. He loves to watch videos of just dozens of trains going by on YouTube. And it's actually pretty fun. That sounds very relaxing. It's pretty cool. So I I guess it's going to be train time. Uh, Before we wrap it up, tell us uh, where we can follow you, the studio, the game, anything you're doing. Sure. So I'm on Twitter a lot. So it's at Sal Payne, uh, S-A-L-P-A-N-E. And the the Retromania Wrestling, you can get all the news from at Retrosoft Studios. So they're on Twitter. They got like 14,000 followers. They're always tweeting out kind of 80s, 90s wrestling content. So even if you're not super interested in the game, it's a great follow on Twitter. If you just have any nostalgia for like the Nasty Boys or anything like yeah. that, there's just constant stuff from them. So and I have a website, salvatore-pain.com. And if you want to get any of my books, they're all on, they're on Amazon. So two novels and, a, and Mega Man 3 as well right and and the boss fight books go on sale honestly all the time there are always great deals where you can pick up a bunch of great reading so and i again i can't uh, recommend that stuff enough so i don't even have to wish you good luck on uh, retromania it's going to do awesome but i do wish you luck anyway and uh maybe i'll bug you again after it comes out yeah sounds great the same to you then thanks for having me on this was really awesome my pleasure Congratulations on your game dev breakdown, whatever that is. Sounds idiotic to me.